Fear not, we'll be there for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash DLC pod. They bring the show to you, their generosity, their support. They're the coolest kids on the block because they make sure we get to keep making DLC episodes. You could be one. And if you were, you'd get cool perks bonuses extra stuff for supporting the show including add free versions of the show video versions of the show on demand and extra content like feeling this the show with christian spicer and alex solman talking about the feelings behind video games you get the dlc book club you get spoiler cast bonus episodes and every single week the paid dlc program which is our wednesday pick me up midweek where Lana Bashinsky joins us to have tons of fun, interact with the patrons. It's great. You should check it out. Patreon.com slash DLC pod is where you find out about it. But this show, the main show, DLC, it's the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice luck and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always... By my friend slash co-host slash nemesis the guy who is suspending his candidacy mr christian spicer hello christian hello jeff hello everyone um if you see the video version of this you might look at the oh what a sweet hat christian is wearing that embroidered popsicle logo or maybe that hoodie he's been wearing with that sweet dlc logo or perhaps oh let me get a sip of oh is that a sweet Ah, drink of uh, water in my sweet DLC mug. Well, dear listener, we have a new homepage, which you can find at dlcpod.com. And with that, a brand new store, lots of cool merch in there. This hoodie, people have been asking for just a plain logo hoodie, embroidered caps, new mugs, another hoodie that I'm not going to bother to show. And it is available at store.dlcpod.com. You can also find a link to it at dlcpod.com directly. Um, I like the old merch. I really love this new merch. I got a bunch of samples of it to test it out. I think folks are going to be pretty happy with it. Uh, So check it out, store.dlcpod.com. It's great. And ladies and gentlemen, just in time for the holidays, the new store is, I mean, (laughs) oh, wait, what? Oops. Nothing says Valentine's Day. (laughs) There you go. Like getting your partner a DLC tee. Show your honey (laughs) you love them with some DLC merch. But ladies and gentlemen, we have an awesome show for you. We got lots to talk about. An Xbox developer direct. We got, uh, we've got video games to chat about that we've been playing. Lots of interesting, juicy stuff. And we have an awesome guest to do that with. You know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm excited because DLC stands for Daryl Lathan's characters. 
because we have actor, director, and the voice behind a ton of video game characters. Daryl Lathan's joining us for the first time. Oh, Daryl. Jeff. Thank you. What a lovely introduction. I, I feel special, and uh, I, I feel almost sort of fanboyish uh, being here, uh, listening to the intro, uh, uh, and you know, seeing my my image like right there next to your guys. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to try to keep well, it. We're all delighted together. to Let's have just you. Say that I'm going to try to keep it all together. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that. We're we're, we're so excited to have you. Um, big, uh, big fan of you on the, the gamers with job conference call where you've been numerous times. Um, so it's awesome to have you joining us and we got to dig into it cause we got a lot to get to this week, big week of news. So let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We also love hearing from you for any other reason you'd like. If you want to tell us about a fun video game story of you playing something with your friends, if you want to give us a review of a game maybe we've overlooked, whatever the case Email us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us in our Discord, which is 5x5DLC on Discord. Great folks, great community, hanging out, talking about video games and all sorts of other topics there. I urge you to take part. It's really a good time. But Daryl, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Oh, for me, (laughs) it's hands down. Our game subscription services, the future... Data suggests no. Um, as a uh, as a person who um, actually subscribes to a subscription service, I um, am really frightened uh, uh, of them uh, because I I you know I'm a performer, I'm an actor, I, I uh, work in film, and I see what streaming has done to the film industry. Uh, as, mm. as far as like radically changing the financial setup for that particular industry. And I could imagine music industry, the music too, industry right? too, but, um, uh, yeah. I would hate to see that take place with video games, uh, especially considering the financial ramifications for those who end up, uh, making the content. It, it, it's not mm. a thing that would necessarily be beneficial to them. And I would argue that it's something that would not necessarily be beneficial for the uh, publishers, the game publishers and distributors. Uh, you can see that with uh, a number of industry or, or uh, uh, content producers who had their own streaming service and over the course of time realized that they didn't have the content to support it. Um, looking at Ubisoft and their um, uh, uh, the director of subscriptions talking about how they would like to uh, get uh, gamers accustomed to not owning their games. Um, yeah, we just have to get used uh, to it. You know, that's it's just uncomfortable now. But that's because you're not used to not. Well, owning God, uh, just just <laughs> it, it makes my skin crawl. And I I would imagine that uh, if things were to go in that direction, the way it has for the movie industry, uh, Ubisoft would be one of those uh, companies that wouldn't be able to sustain. Sus- 
wouldn't be able to sustain a subscription service uh, without the benefit of, say, a larger service like a Game Pass or a PlayStation Plus. But yeah, I mean, yeah. just the idea that there is a, a gaming company that is looking to push us in that way is frightening. But I'm glad yeah. to know that it's not something I should, quote unquote, worry about. Well, Daryl is referring to uh, a story that came out in uh, GameIndustry.biz this week, uh, where, as he mentioned, the uh, director of subscriptions for Ubisoft, which is you know a title that I guess is necessary these days, um, fellow by the name of Philippe Trembley, uh, mentioned that yeah, we just have to we have to get more comfortable with the idea. People are just uncomfortable with the idea of not of paying for things that they don't actually own of uh, having zero control, but paying us anyway. Uh, just, we just need to be more comfortable with that. And uh, I'm being snarky, but I, I all, I, I will say right now, I am currently paying for the uh, Ubisoft plus membership because uh, avatar came out and now Prince of Persia came out. So I was like, Hey, I'll be able to play both of those games without having to purchase them. Um, so, you know, maybe I'm part of the problem here, but it was, I think, uh, a pretty insensitive way of putting it. And it certainly got a lot of blowback and it actually led to some uh, game industry analysts coming out and uh, throwing down some hard data as to the trajectory of subscription services in the game space. Um, one of them is... Um, uh, a fellow by the name of uh, Matt uh, Piscatella, who works for uh, Circana, and he, he says that subscription growth has flattened. Subservices on console and PC platforms account for only 10% of total video game content spending in the United States, and that the idea that subscription services will become dominant is unsupported by the data. He says subs have been more additive than cannibalistic. And, uh, and offer players, devs, and publishers more choice in how they play or how to go to market, fear-mongering on this topic is quite unnecessary. He thinks it will remain niche for the foreseeable future. Uh, another analyst, uh, James McWhorter from Omida, uh, talked about how a Game Pass in particular, Xbox Game Pass, um, that they will be at 33.3 million uh, subscribers. Uh, they were by the end of 2023. And that's... 13% growth, which is down from 15% growth in 2022. And over half of Game Pass subscribers, 55% are uh, currently on the device agnostic ultimate tier. So even uh, Game Pass, which I think is the sort of the poster child for uh, subscription service done right, uh, is plateauing according to the data. So perhaps subscriptions aren't the way of the future. And it sounds to me, uh, Daryl, like like you're happy about well, that. Well, um, well, yeah. I, 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 I just, I, again, I fear it. What happens to film will happen to games, and it'll end up reducing the amount of games, uh, ultimately that are available. And I'm, uh, sort of happy with the amount of games that are available to me. But I, I mean, I feel like if this were to be a thing that, um became uh, the mode of choice for uh, buying and purchasing video games. Um, I, it's not something that I use in that way, at least my subscription service. I would imagine that uh, like, in order to really fully take advantage of this, you'd have to have a number of different, different systems 
uh, you'd have to have the Xbox. You have to have the PlayStation. And, you know, even mobile gaming has subscription services. Like, I don't know that mm-hmm. the uh, the market can sustain that. For me, personally, I feel like it's a uh, uh, it subsidizes my gameplay. Like, I was really yeah. disappointed with sort of the, the sort of downturn of the trading game. That was where I did a lot of my gaming, um, just, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, reinvesting the value in that new, newly purchased game. But I find now that I use the subscription service as that. All of the games mm-hmm. that I yeah. missed in the past that I want to play that I probably would have been uh, getting via trade in or some discount price at GameStop, I'm now accessing through my subscription service. And I feel like that's the place yeah, and, and that's the place where it I want it to be, at least. Well, you're stretching the value yes. for your dollar. Yeah. And certainly, you know, the the uh, trade-in uh process, the 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 market there, uh, was not doing any favors to the people making games either, right? Because the, the companies like GameStop and uh um uh, you know other other retailers who were doing that weren't passing along those secondary sales to the people who made the games either. So, you know, I think that also problematic, but uh, it, it does seem to me like the ownership issue is the hardest thing to swallow where you're sort of at the mercy of these subscription services going away, yanking individual um, titles. And we've certainly seen that on the media side on, on you know, television uh, streaming services, movie streaming services where, you know, HBO or Max, the one to watch for HBO, is yanking swaths of things. You know, Disney's yanking things because it makes more sense financially for them to just not have it on the service than it is to let people still access it. I, I think that is, um, for me, the thing that I'm, as a consumer, you know, most worried about is just not having things accessible to me uh, or not having any control of what's accessible. If I have, you know, I have a whole bunch of, Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, you know, discs that I still have, which is sort of the last generation where I was still purchasing physical media predominantly. And I still have tons of them. And if I really wanted to pull out that disc and play it, I would be, have the means to do so. And uh, with subscription services, you're at the mercy of the subscription provider to determine whether or not you have access to that material. So I've, Christian, what is your, you are, you know, you are very big on the, the, the streaming future in regards to, um, uh, you know, uh, not having it, uh, cloud gaming, right? You're big on cloud gaming. So that would require usually subscription services like, uh, NVIDIA's version and, and Xbox's version. Uh, how do you feel about whether subscriptions should have a bigger footprint on, the future of gaming. Yeah, well, NVIDIA's, because you brought it up, they take a different approach. You are actually playing games that you own and you are right. subscribing to their cloud computing. So you still own the game via Steam or the Epic Game Store or whatever right. platform you're using and then you're renting the powerful beefy GP. Good point, I, yes. I, I, think it's, I think it's difficult. I empathize, but I also think that I think we've talked about it maybe on a Wednesday show, the era of media ownership in the blip of media creation is a tiny one. 
we, the three of us kind of grew up in that era of getting to own our media. But I remember when I think it was Batman 89 or Batman Returns, one of the uh, Tim Burton Batman movies was kind of one of the first mass marketed sold to consumer VHS tapes. Before that, you know, they were $300 and the video rental store would buy them and rent them out to people. But the idea of you owning media didn't exist. If I missed an episode of The Wonder Years, I could maybe see it that summer, but otherwise I just missed it. And I couldn't own the complete set of Wonder Years or whatever the show was. I Love Lucy, uh, X-Files. Eventually they put those things out on VHS. And games... You know, there was always game ownership. I don't think because that's what the publishers necessarily wanted. That was just the only way for them to deliver that media to us at home. And, you know, Sega tried with the Sega channel way back when in the Genesis to have you not own games and just play them that way. And I think now an additional wrinkle to it is you might have some of those discs and maybe PS3, Xbox 360, sorry, 360 era, this still holds true. But now I'm pretty sure if I have a, I think it's Halo Infinite. If I have a Halo Infinite disc and I didn't use it, 20 years from now, I can't put that in my Xbox and play it because it would require an 80 gig download, (laughs) you know, or whatever it is. Like, so I have the physical media, but I don't, still don't own that media. You're saying that we've already passed the Rubicon. I think we have in many ways. And then I'd add the asterisks. Uh, I'm not a lawyer anymore. I used to be forever ago. You could argue the legality of a EULA end user license agreement uh, till you're blue in the face. But I think a lot of folks. Until you're uh, EULA in the face. <laughs> till you're EULA in the face. Well done. Uh, I think a lot of folks on the corporate side, uh, when put against that wall, would argue you never owned it to begin with. You mash X yeah. to play. And right. you sign away your rights, and there's no ownership at all. So I a disc is just a delivery medium. It's not a not a token of ownership. <laughs> and, and now we have a better delivery medium of this of this yeah. subscription service. And I I really agree with so much of what Daryl said because you know there's a reason why I buy merch from my favorite bands and why I go see them live. I here's a sincere engineer uh, beer koozie. I don't drink beer, but I bought the koozie and the LP. And I like, you know, doing that stuff because otherwise, you know, she'd get half a half a half a half a penny every time I listen to the album. Store.dlcpod.com. <laughs> <laughs> Give us your half a penny. <laughs> so I, I, I don't have an answer here, but I think we are. I think we've crossed the Rubicon and we're in a really bad spot. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's ownership. interesting you, to, for you to say that it is a sliver of time, media ownership, because before media ownership, when we wanted to play video games, we had to go to an arcade and put in a quarter <laughs> right? every, for every yeah. play. And uh, I, I've never really thought about it as being a, a small sliver of time, an exception <laughs> to the idea as opposed to the rule. But I mean, part of me still wants to be, uh, continue tilting at windmills and fighting for the, uh, (laughs) for the the sanctity of ownership. I I'm with you. I, I appreciate that. And I certainly respect it. It, And it it does, it does feel like it has been uh, death by a thousand cuts. You know, it's like the, the line keeps getting moved. And then one day we look back and we're like, Oh, we never, how long have we never owned anything, you know? <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, it's hard to stare at it in the face. And it certainly is hard when a guy is out there, you know, the director of subscriptions, like, you just have to get used to it. You know, that's like, no, 
screw you, buddy. Um, but uh, it, it, it is interesting. I, I'm torn in the sense that I do think, like I said, did I want to spend $70 for one game and, you know, $60 for another that I was going to play for two months, three months, or do I want to pay $15 a month to play both of them? I, that that value proposition is pretty tantalizing, but that also means a year from now, and I'm like, ah, you know, it'd be great. I'd be great to play that again. It's just not that option isn't open to me necessarily unless well, I want to pay for the subscription again. But it also might have not been open to you anyway because they've right. delisted the servers. <laughs> no, know, I get or, it, but that's like something like that. But and I, also, I get it. I have my Genesis copy of Prince of Persia running uh, behind <laughs> me. Like, I get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Uh, my story of the week is the Xbox Developer Direct, which is maybe their second or third version of kind of doing this Developer Direct. And before we get into the specifics, I want to spend a little bit of time on the method of delivery, which was not releasing an NDA via tweet, <laughs> as some <laughs> companies like to do. Um this is, I think, Xbox really finding their groove in terms of what these digital Nintendo Direct um, style presentations can be. We saw a big one with that Starfield developer Direct where we really saw the developers speaking passionately about what they were doing and getting into the nitty gritty. And now with this one, we got that insight from five developers. And I love this format. I think it came across as insightful informative yes it's clearly a marketing thing but it felt less like a marketing thing than the sometimes moments of two people sitting on a couch who don't have great rapport trying to have a conversation and the questions are all like chris farley and those old snl sketches of like this game looks awesome why don't you tell us how awesome it is and the other yeah. person's like it is awesome this, well speaking I, as a person who's been hired to ask those questions <laughs> in the past i it's take a some job. issue with that but i it's I, a hard it, I agree. It, I don't know how well anyone can do that job because you are limited in what you can ask and say. And uh, on the other side of things, I think this had a feeling of honesty. And yes, there are those cheesy shots of like people pushing someone else down the office in a rolly chair, like playing ping pong, which spoiler <laughs> yeah. alert, those never get used for real. Um, <laughs> but it was nice to see the people make, yeah. who make the games and doing the stuff. I, I loved think, it. Yeah. More than honesty. It's, it's like the celebration of the people and the places, right? It's like, Hey, yeah. did you know your game was made all the way on the other side of the world? Did you know these humans are involved in it? And they, they're really putting their blood, sweat and tears into making this. And they, I, I like that lens through which we view these announcements. It's not, you know, even in the era of E3, uh, pour one out, <laughs> may God rest its soul, but um, is uh, it, you would have the developer walk out, but it never felt like that access to the developer. It felt like I'm the face that's going to tell you this. And instead of this this methodology, which feels much more like, hey, we'll take you inside the doors of this developer. We'll kind of give you a sneak peek behind the curtain. Here's the people. Yes, we're still advertising our games. We're still, you know, hyping them up. But it did feel like, you know, here, this is actually the place where it's made. These are the people that make it. You know, here's why they're excited. Uh, and I agree with you, Christian, 100% that this is cool. I also like that there's no cutting back to 
somebody like me standing there like, well, the next game, well, that was amazing. Wow. Aren't we all amazed? The next game, like we don't even need it, even though, you know, I would like to be hired to do those things. Um, We don't need that kind of thing. And in fact, we had this thing that was going to be four games, surprise a fifth game. And the way it was done, you didn't even need a voiceover or a face doing that. It just sort of happened in motion graphics and that worked. It's fine. It's great. Uh, I don't know if you want to weigh in on this, Daryl, before we get into the actual games, because there's a lot. To oh, get no, into this is uh, I, I missed the uh, the presentation uh, as I've skewed buying an Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I play on I, any sort of Microsoft gaming I do on my my uh, not as a splendid gaming PC. Uh, the, the folks at the gamers with the list, the, the listeners with gamers with jobs have heard me complain about this particular unit for a number of times. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Jeff, we did that's get... my story. Jeff is just, the, we can move on. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. No, it was like... good. Yeah. Really good. Mo- the motion graphics really was <laughs> just was the, impressive. that's it. Anyway, other stuff that happened this week, just moving completely away. We got some games, some big games. Five, and I, five big do you games. have, do you have a bumper about you being, maybe sometimes being correct? Um, uh, are you might talking be the first about, time. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you get to use that in 2024. I think that might be the first time, Jeff, you nailed first, it. Uh, first bold prediction of the year uh, of mine, which we just did uh, at the end of 2023, uh, comes true because, uh, we got not only, uh, the name of the new Indiana Jones game from Bethesda and machine games, we got, uh, a, a pretty big drill down into what it's going to look like, what it's going to play like. Uh, and we got a this year release date, which I don't think either of us predicted because you also predicted it was going to have a big presence at a Microsoft showing. And here we are uh, correct on that, too. Um, it's really unfortunate that you don't have any kind of bumper I can play. But you know what? <laughs> we'll just do this again. Jeff was right. Yeah, because that feels good. That feels, I was I'm right the one singing it. So, so I was it right good. that you would eventually be right. So I, I was right. Um, <laughs> no, neither anyway. one of us predicted this because you could tell by both of our predictions just being like, they're going to, I don't know, show gameplay. And that felt risky. And yeah. I was like, I don't know. They're going to like feature it. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we're going to release it is what we're going to yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. You know, obviously these things are subject to change, but it does feel like a 2024 release for Indiana Jones and the Great Circle is a, a pretty safe bet. And um, obviously this was the big marquee game. We, we got... Uh, more details on that, obviously, uh, on Senua's Saga Hellblade 2, which is a game we've known about for a long time, but more there we'll get into. Uh, more on Avowed, which is, you know, one of my most anticipated games of 2024. We know that's coming in the fall. Uh, we got uh, Aura History Untold, which is a new game from Oxide Games. This is a studio made up of folks from Firaxis and the Civilization series. This is a another 4X, uh, you know, Civ-type game. And then the surprise uh, entrant of uh, Square Enix coming in to talk about Visions of Mana, which will not be uh, a console Xbox exclusive. It's also coming to PlayStation in the summer. Uh, but clearly the game that, um, you know, that has uh, taken the internet by storm is, is obviously a new Indiana Jones game. And Christian, I'm curious um, what you think of it. It's going to be first person, which, you know, is Machine Games is wheelhouse they're bailiwick they they know how to make a first person action game uh and we got a lot of gameplay we got a lot of sense of what this is going to look like how it's going to sound how much harrison ford is going to be in it which is a lot 
Uh, I mean, at least lookalikes and soundalikes. And, uh, you know, there's going to be some whip action. There's going to be some puzzle action. We got to look at a lot of it, including some of the bad guys and kind of a sense of what the MacGuffin is in this tale. I think they give us a real clear sense of what this game is going to look like. And so I'm curious how excited you are about it. Yeah, I believe that it's uh, Joel, Mr. Troy Baker, doing Harrison Ford's Indiana really? Jones wow. voice in this game. That guy's this too game. talented. Too talented. Um, yeah, really, really great sound alike, I think. I, I am so stoked for this Darryl, game. Daryl, you, do, you, do you have a Harrison Ford in your back pocket that you could – Oh, oh, no, uh, no. If, oh God. <laughs> All right. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you have to ask and i have to try to find out whether or not i do and we've learned right, right. now that no no that's not there i feel like he's a hard he's a hard in person you don't there's not a lot of people that do harrison uh, ford I, I feel you know except for the one guy who does every video game perfectly apparently <laughs> right yeah. you know <laughs> i i'm stoked for this game it's machine games i think if machine games has proven anything recently it's that they make a first person Nazi killers, really great. Like really great Nazi punching, Nazi yeah. killing games. They, uh, the Wolfenstein, modern Wolfenstein games, except for the most recent one was kind of co-op. wasn't as great. I think are phenomenal. I think doing first person indie feels brave. I who think can we, it, who can we get that doesn't have to download new swastikas? <laughs> They'll just have them on their heart. We don't want to like even show the internet that that's in demand. Let's just go with the developers that already have the swastika gifs on their hard drives <laughs> who's got the pedigree who's got the pedigree um but i think i think first person is great one it plays into what machine games does well and i think it saves this game from you know speaking of the great circle of the circular reasoning of uncharted inspired by indie now indie game being compared to uncharted game and how do you get out of that snake eating its own tail scenario is that you create something that is instantly different you know it, it it's not tomb raider it's not uncharted it's its own thing and i think if they're able to pull that sense of adventure and adventuring into the first person i think it will be a triumph what they showed of using the whip it doesn't seem like they're shying away from the typical indie style things and i think that the wolfenstein games have shown that machine games can do really really great stealth combat encounter style environments in first person and then while not machine games also within the larger microsoft umbrella i think i'd point to something like dishonored and what those games are able to do in first person to show what an indie game might be so jeff i don't know if you're stoked for it but i am my hype level this is now my most anticipated game of 2024 oh, wow. i am wow so well, in. there you go i yeah. mean i Daryl, yeah, what's your what's your how how hyped are you about it? Well, Jones I mean, game? like I said, I don't have a, a, an Xbox system, and I I have to say that um, uh, I have been uh, sort of eschewing uh, first person uh, shooters, first person video games because I have been horrid at them. Uh, but see, like I saw the the uh, videos of the gameplay for Indiana Jones and my eyes got really big and I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, um, um, uh, scratching the nostalgia itch right here, right here uh, uh, on yeah. uh, our the Gamers with Jobs podcast. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did our uh, what we're looking forward to 
2024 and the big themes, quote unquote, for 2024. I think if I were to make an addendum, my big theme for 2024 is nostalgia itch because uh, this game, along with some other games that are going to be, re- be released later this year, are at least for me scratching that nostalgia itch. And I'm I, I like I, I feel like uh, I, I'm sort of hypocritical in saying that I really want to play this game. I, I like I want to go out and get the Xbox just so I can play this particular game. I'll break my rules. Well, it's going to be on PC as well. You know, it'll it'll be on PC um, and PC Game Pass and Game Pass Day One, which is oh, pretty exciting. Okay. Um, lots more to say about Indiana Jones and the rest of the Xbox Developer Direct, but we're going to take a quick break for a sponsor. This episode of DLC is brought to you by Green Chef. Oh, Green Chef. You know, Green Chef is actually owned by HelloFresh, and I have been a HelloFresh subscriber, I think, almost 10 years, I want to say. That's how long uh, my wife and I have been doing HelloFresh, and I can't wait to try Green Chef because Green Chef delivers whole food for your whole body. They are committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. It's the number one meal kit for clean eating. You can discover new gut-friendly recipes each week. That's something that's super important for my wife. So I think we might be switching over to this one. They have that the new gut and brain health meal plan that includes a mouth-watering array of nutritious dinners, clean snacks, and functional drinks crafted to actively support the well-being of your gut and enhance your cognitive health. Christian, I feel like, haven't you been a paid subscriber to Green Health before, or Green Chef, excuse me? We have Green Chef paying uh, subscriber over here. We jumped on Green Chef. I am a vegetarian. The rest of my family is not, but I am. And what I found really appealing about Green Chef was there is their variety of vegetarian options. Again, it's not only vegetarian, but the fact that I was able to have a rich, diverse menu of vegetarian items that I loved and that also my non-vegetarian family (laughs) enjoyed also was great. I think a lot of times this, you know, healthy eating advertised is like not something a 10-year-old is going to enjoy. And Green Chef, we were able to make one dinner for the whole family that I liked and that everybody liked. And uh, spoiler alert, my in-laws are going to be here later in the month. And guess what we have queued up on the menu already? Green Chef, baby. Well, I love, I've loved HelloFresh for so long because it allows us to add variety into our eating habits. It allows, I mean, it, it takes away all of the pain points of cooking, which is figuring out what to have, going to the grocery store to buy all the ingredients and having leftover bits and pieces of ingredients that just go to waste. All of that stuff is taken away when you have a meal kit because it handles all of that stuff for you. And I think it's even harder when you want to have clean living to find recipes, find new menus that allow you to feel good about what you're putting in your body, but also keep that variety. And certainly, if you're thinking about eating out, you're not going to be giving your body the kind of good whole food that you want. And Green Chef takes the work out of eating clean with 
chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes featuring certified organic fruits and vegetables, organic cage-free eggs, and sustainably sourced seafood. It's the kind of stuff you can really get behind. So go to greenchef.com slash 60DLC and use code 60DLC. That's 60DLC to get 60% off. Wow. Plus 20% off your next two months. Again, that's greenchef.com slash 60DLC to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm also pretty excited about it. Machine Games has been uh, knocking it out of the park with their last few installments of Wolfenstein, but I really felt like those were so edgy and so uh, grating in a certain way. Like the the intensity of the setting and the, and the intensity of the narrative um, was a little more than I. W- that it didn't tickle my tastes as much. It did not I, shy away from fascism and what it means when it takes over the world and or violence um, right. as a solve. And sort of it, crassness yes. and, and, and just a, a very, it was very I, – I like that they're going to be bringing their talents to bear in a very much more PG-13, uh, you know, uh, uh, IP. Um, and – Obviously, Indiana Jones is awesome, and you're you're absolutely right, Christian. I had the same thought where it's like, oh, this immediately sets you apart from the other Indiana Jones likes, which you know, obviously Nathan Drake and and Lara Croft are. And uh, the fact that you know, it's not like I'm going to be customizing my character and wanting to watch. It. Do I want to see <clears throat> Indiana Jones do cool stuff? Yes. Uh, but you know, it's going to be, there's not going to be any kind of costume unlocks. I don't think for Indiana Jones, it's uh, you're Indiana Jones. Uh, it's a hat, it's a whip, you know, it's Brown. And so I, I am not somebody that prefers first person in general. I prefer third person. Uh, so part of me is a little disappointed, but I kind of get it and I understand it. It'll be interesting to see how much of the fisticuffs, because it looked like there's a lot of, you know, Indiana Jones style punching a Nazi in the mouth. Uh, that stuff tends to be harder to do in first person, I think. There have been some games that have done it well. So hopefully this will be one of those. Uh, and the whip looks super fun. Um, and I, I'm excited about the as much uh, as they hype the puzzle solving and that there's lots of ancillary puzzles, optional puzzles, side content puzzles. Uh, I'm into that as well. So, you know, this looks like a cool story. I, this has the uh, ability to be like uh, the Spider-Man games where like the video game story might be better than the movies <laughs> uh, at this point. You know, I, I do think it's interesting that they set when this game takes place within the canon. And yeah. I'm not sure how important that is to folks. I, I I'm excited for a time when some of these characters can live outside of the established movie canons where you can just have a James Bond adventure, so to speak, or something right. like that. And it Nobody can be its cares own thing where it is placed in the James Bond oeuvre. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even to some extent Insomniac's Spider-Man games where they created their own timeline. And I know Indy's not there yet, but I do think the character is just iconic enough that you can just kind of have these adventures. Um, and DC, I think, has done more of that in their games of just here's a game, here's a game, here's right. a game. I mean, 
right now they're kind of muddying that with <laughs> Suicide Squad being a continuation of the Arkham games. But I do find it interesting that, and I know James Gunn, I guess, is trying to change that <laughs> with DC. But I find it interesting that these Marvel games and Star Wars games, they try to tell you, like, no, this is canon, and here's where it takes place. And for me personally, that rarely makes it better. <laughs> it just makes me wonder, where was this important woman in the next movie? Like, what what, yeah. what happened? Where was this life lesson? You just forgot about it. Um, neither here nor there. So that's just one of the many games that, to talk about. Um, obviously, you know, I think most most surprising to show that much of it. And I think that's really great. I love the fact that Bethesda's not like going to waste our time with CGI trailers or any of the other kind of, you know, kick the can down the road type of stuff. It's like, let's just show you the game, show you what, what, how, what you're going to be doing and tell you it's coming this year. I think that's great. Um, Senua Saga Hellblade 2 continues to look absolutely you know nearly photo real and stunning uh looks like people in costumes it's just wild what they're able to do uh at uh, ninja theory um uh, daryl did you have any thoughts on hellblade 2 on on Senua uh, Saga? uh <laughs> no there is a, a another ninja game coming to uh well not ninja uh i guess it's more Ronan coming to PlayStation that I was looking forward to, but this feels like it's um, uh, the same kind of thing <laughs> again. I, I, <laughs> I, it, yet another reason why I feel like I need to go out and buy an Xbox now. Yeah, I mean, it does. It it, it looks like they're taking the the sort of um, mental health themes of the first game, extending them, and really taking it seriously again. Uh, this looks like it's going to be a harrowing experience. But uh, just visually, I'm I'm so taken by it. Um, Christian, any Senua Saga thoughts? I love that they're making changes to the combat, but still saying that it's going to feel visceral and raw. I think I'm curious what that feels like. I think the first game, the combat was enjoyable at first. The first game certainly wasn't super long, but I found the combat toward the end of the game to be my least favorite part of it versus the story i wanted to get back into the story moment so i hope that they're able to make the combat feel more visceral and more of a reward in that way and i think that's that's the impression that i got but i also love that this again is another eight hour game an an eight hour single player game interestingly enough though not only is it game pass because it's microsoft first party but they also said it's digital only they are not doing a physical release of this game kind of like alan wake 2 not Microsoft, but another recent game that came out in only digital version. And so while not necessarily requiring a subscription to play, it is, you know, a game that you will never have on your shelf uh, to look at it and pop into your console to play, which maybe is lending credence to the rumors or the leaked uh, court documents of Microsoft looking to release an updated all digital series x console currently currently the series s is all digital and there are rumors slash leaks that the series x is going to go that way as well with a refresh and so this was kind of the first game i think where microsoft has says yeah we're not going to do a physical version of it but also it's an awesome single player game (laughs) it kind of felt like they're saying because of that we can do this i don't think those two things are true um but i think it's interesting we got a release date, May 21st, so something to look forward to in the early half of the year. Uh, pretty pretty exciting stuff for that. <clears throat> I got to say, 
Avowed looks so good, and I am over the moon. A uh, little disappointed that it re- that we got confirmation that it's not coming until the fall. I had hopes that it would be a sort of first half or mid-year release, um, but it looks like it's going to be one of the heavy hitters that comes out at the end of the year. Um, and it's always like, oh, here comes these 100-hour <laughs> RPGs in November with everything else. It's like, ah, come on. But I'm very excited about this. Obsidian looks like they're really putting a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of heart and soul into it. And it, the combat system where they're showing very customizable dual wielding, uh, you can have, you know, two wands, one in each hand. You can have a sword and a wand. You can have shields and so, yeah, you know, range. And it just looks like it's got a lot of, uh, a lot of custom customizability that way. And I'm uh, super excited with the visuals. It looks very bright and beautiful um i just think avowed is going to be a game i am going to love so i'm very much excited for that and i thought it looked great um visions of mana not really my jam uh and ara history untold i think uh looks very very solid i mean i love civ games and this looks like uh people taking it seriously and really trying to blaze a new trail a bit in uh in how those games are made and what they're trying to accomplish um, it looks gorgeous as well. Uh, Daryl, any of those three games um, stick out to you and the kind of thing that you're well, excited about? I mean, the uh, the Avowed game um, <laughs> sounds interesting. I mean, the visuals, uh, again, look great. But I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm still coming off of uh, sort of a Baldur's Gate sort of hangover mm. as far as the sure. RPGs are concerned. I, I feel like... Uh, 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 all of my gameplay uh, when it comes to RPGs is colored by it now, um, mm. and I'm. Uh, I mean, it's it sounds as if it might be a game that might clear that particular palette, and in that regard, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that it comes out later in the year because it gives me even more time to uh, right. uh, just play around in the Baldur's Gate world before diving in yet another like deep rich uh rpg uh the aura history untold uh because it comes from the developers of the civ series which is a a sort of a seminal game series in my own uh life that is uh definitely tickling my fancy i'm i'm gonna get off of this podcast and do a deep dive on that one um but yeah i i enjoy their particular games and have spent way too many hours uh, 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 playing civilization. So I can't help but think that is going to definitely appeal to me. It does look excellent. And I, I particularly intrigued by this innovation that they're talking about where you don't have to wait for your opponent's turn uh, in, in, in multiplayer, you can keep playing without having to wait for your opponents to go, uh, which sounds intriguing and certainly uh, a, a nice uh, development where, you know, it could take a long time to do a turn in Civ. You could think about a lot of things. <laughs> so sometimes you're sitting there waiting. Uh, this is also coming out in the fall and um, we'll be coming to PC and PC Game Pass as well. Um, Christian, any of these three uh, strike your fancy? I think Avowed is probably the one that jumps out at me the most. Um, I think, like you said, it seems bright and not optimistic, but it's not fallout um right it, it, it but it's also take seems to be taking itself a little more seriously than outer worlds yes. their last 
fantasy RPG. I guess that's space, but you know what I mean. Before they were acquired. It doesn't just look like Elder Scrolls, right? It looks like it has its own identity. Yeah. Yeah. I love that they showed – I thought the weapon reveals were really cool. It's like you can have a wand. You can have two wands. You can have a sword. You can have a gun. And I was like, guns? I mean I guess (laughs) if you have wands, you have guns also. I thought it seemed really cool how they showed that stuff off. The environments looked great in terms of the variety, which I think is really cool. And then I want to show a little love to Visions of Mana. I'm very curious how well that combat feels. I mean that's Mm -hmm. been – it seems weird to say recent because that's a long-running franchise, but uh, as more Square games move to real-time combat, it maybe feels less special uh, that the Mana games have often featured a version of real-time combat, but I feel like it is kind of a trademark of where that franchise is now, and they took time to talk about it in the trailer that we, you know, we're keeping the action in the action RPG. And, you know... While not exclusive to Microsoft, I think it, uh, based on a game we'll be talking about later, Jeff, I think you'll be <laughs> talking about a game later. I think this kind of game can have a broad appeal. And I think sure. getting more folks the ability to play it, and I think it's mostly there to show Microsoft is, again, still trying to take Japan seriously. <laughs> you know, like yeah, no, we I, have outreach. We want these things to come to our platform too. And I agree. Yeah. I, I think it's good. And I think it looked great. I, I loved the art style. I think it looked fun. I liked how they talked about bringing these characters to 3D, these monsters. And there's been other versions of it before. But I think the point that I got from the developers talking is the care they're putting into this game to really treat it as a big RPG release from them. And it doesn't need to be Final Fantasy anymore to kind of stand on its own legs, even though that's where <laughs> the series started all those years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we all agree a pretty strong developer direct and love the way Xbox is doing this. And uh, I hope we get to see many more of these as, as things go forward. And um, you know, obviously Microsoft has this huge stable of first parties and it, again, it doesn't even need to be first party. Cause here we got square Enix uh, joining the, the, uh, the fun of the developer direct too. So it can be, you could do the same thing with indies with uh, you know, third party games that are coming to multiple platforms. I just love this context and the way that they're doing it. So kudos. Uh, All right. We don't have to uh, spend a ton of time on my story of the week because it's uh, you know, the other two stories were really the meat of the week, but you know, Christian, you were so uh, good to point out how we are right. I just, didn't want to get too far away from how wrong you have been, uh, which is uh, the fact that last year you uh, predicted that Halo <laughs> would have a uh, a spinoff uh, standalone mode. And uh, we got confirmation this week that it has been canceled. So uh, there's a Halo Battle Royale spinoff that was officially canceled, or at least that's the rumor. Uh, so, oh, Christian's uh, disputing my facts here. The the rumor that the unannounced Halo Battle Royale has been canceled is true. My prediction last year, though, was that Halo Infinite pivots to something else, uh-huh. which they're definitely still doing. They just mm-hmm. haven't mm-hmm. found that something else, apparently. Sure. Um, okay. Well, this something not, else is not happening. <laughs> it, it is not. Because I think and, you name-checked the Battle Royale in that prediction. And, and uh, I just wanted to point out that that officially, <laughs> or at least according to this rumor, uh, has been canceled. And honestly, it's worth talking about because it does feel like, you know, uh, among the the 
the hardcore Halo fans, I, I believe Halo Infinite has sort of found its footing and people are are digging on it. But it really does feel like Halo as a franchise receded in the wake of uh, Halo Infinite. And I do feel like there would be a time when a Halo Battle Royale would have printed money. And now it just seems like, well, it's not even worth us making. We're not going to do that. And I think that's actually smart in the sense that it would have really felt like a Me Too, like we can do a Battle Royale also and everybody's doing one. I I would love for Halo to find its own thing. And I I think it's probably wise at this point for this to be shuttered and maybe reallocate resources to something else. But evidently there were over a hundred people working on this and in the works uh, since 2020. Um, This was a certain affinity, which is a, a developer um, back in 2022, certain affinity said they were deepening their relationship with the halo infinite uh, developer three, four, three. And um, so the rumor was that's what this, they were working on, but uh, it seems that several different sources have corroborated ain't happening now. Um, And the seasons have changed. They're walking away from a season release point for their multiplayer stuff. I agree with you that I think a lot of the hardcore Halo fans have found what they really like in the current version of Halo Infinite's multiplayer, but it really feels like the the folks over there, the team is struggling to find what its big identity is going to be, to be this big franchise, you know, this mascot level franchise for Microsoft, and perhaps it's just not, you know, those things happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, they have the a, a television show on Paramount Plus for Halo that right See, second season yeah, coming yeah. soon. You would you would think with the uh, the the television show it would serve as some sort of advertisement for the game, but I guess uh, people aren't digging on the show either, even though it looks okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's clear that Halo is still a huge IP for Microsoft and not something they're going to walk away from, and that you know people still harbor a lot of affection for. Uh, justifiably so so it'll be interesting to see what's next for halo but clearly this ain't it and i think that's probably a good thing like let's not muddy the waters with more uh, battle royales in the marketplace i think it's time has 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 played out and um, i'm sure there's lots of people still enjoying battle royales but i don't feel like the market is clamoring for yet another so, yeah, find your own thing, like figure out what you want to do. And I think Halo Infinite was a big swing in that direction as far as rethinking what Halo could be. And I applaud it. I, I enjoyed that game quite a bit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens next with Halo. I don't think we're anywhere but near. But you're also the... talking about Halo Infinite as a game you move on from. Right. And that was and I also very much enjoyed its campaign, but it was not positioned to be. <laughs> The, it was what a we liked to about be it. Infinite. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. Uh, Halo periodic. <laughs> Halo erstwhile. You know. Halo great campaign. I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, let us jump in now to the games that we have been playing this week in a segment we call the playlist. what has been on your playlist this week? Um, well, one of the games I've been playing this week is an RPG, uh, a, a turn-based 
RPG called The Iron Oath. Um, I, uh, uh, the month of uh, December rolled around and I was looking for my, uh, vacation game that I was going to play while I was on the, uh, uh, Christmas vacation. This is a game that, um, one of my, uh, uh, co-hosts on the games with job podcast, uh, recommended, uh, and because he understands that, uh, I enjoy, uh, a turn-based game since, uh, I came across, uh, XCOM. And uh, I'm I, I I have to acknowledge that um, I'm somewhat of a a cocky game player. Um, I can <laughs> I can I can be a bit uh, full of myself. So when uh, I got the game, there's uh, um, I, I thought it looked simple and not very deep. Um, and so I, I didn't respect the game um, uh, out of the box. And the truth of the matter is uh, the game has been kicking uh, my my tail. Um, it is a game that uh, requires my attention in ways that I was not expecting and or anticipating. Um, it, as I said, it's a turn-based RPG, and it has all the hallmarks of your uh, standard uh, RPG. Um, uh, but its attention to uh, detail within its gameplay mechanics um, uh, uh, forces your attention. Um, one of the elements of the game that makes it um, unique is the way that it uses time. Uh, you have uh, uh, an overworld map uh, that you have to traverse. Uh, but there is also uh, a lot of dungeon action, you know, uh, for any good dungeon crawler, you got to go running around in those dungeons and find the treasure. Uh, and they don't skimp on that. That's basically the two phases of the game, the overworld map and then the dungeon exploring. Um, um, uh, but when I started playing the game, um, I'm coming off, as I said, uh, my fascination with Baldur's Gate and the way that game plays and of course, I'm being sloppy in my gameplay with uh, the Iron Oath and applying <laughs> uh, techniques that work for me in Baldur's Gate in the Iron Oath. And I'm finding it um, not successful to the point where I'm experiencing party death. <laughs> <laughs> um, but through reloads and, you know, playing the game, you begin to understand that the world is ever changing. It is a dynamic world a world where you're expected to um, carry out missions over the course of decades, even uh, centuries. Your, your, uh, uh, your team members can die and or retire, uh, but where the, the time really comes into play is in the dungeon crawling. It has a, uh, a, a, a clock, as it were, um, where you have a certain amount of time where you can move throughout the uh, dungeon. Um, and if you fail to complete the dungeon in a certain amount of time, uh, there are certain yeah. penalties that are applied if you uh, stay in the dungeon for too long. So let's say you got like 30, 93 times to stay in a dungeon, but uh, when you hit 94, the clock resets and they add another mm. penalty. You start each dungeon with a penalty and with a buff. But if you, again, if you stay in there too long, the penalties add up, which makes it much, much more difficult. In one of my playthroughs, um, 
I was meandering about, as I tend to do, trying to find as much treasure as possible, not really taking into consideration the effect of uh, lingering past the amount of time. Uh, and uh, after beating uh, a dungeon full of devil dogs, I my team was ready to camp and take a rest. Uh, and so I backtracked to take a rest and uh, the clock turned. And then that uh, that uh, uh, fight I just had repopulated. And now I have to go back through and fight that thing again. <laughs> oh, so no. you have to be really attentive to how you plan, not just how you uh, plan the members of your party, not just how you plan the uh, uh, spells and uh, things that they uh, have to use, but you have to plan your time because if you do not look after and plan your time you're going to face uh, severe penalties that are going to disadvantage you and in a world that is ever-changing and ever chaotic where enemies become friends over time time uh, uh, uh friends become enemies uh, you have to be very attentive uh, and uh that is the lesson i've learned for playing the iron oath it is a game that definitely requires your attention. This is not something that was on my radar at all. The Iron Oath came out um, early November of last year. Uh, so it's been out, you know, a couple months now. And uh, boy, I, I had not heard about this. It's uh, currently on Steam for 25 bucks. It looks awesome. I, the visuals you mentioned, there, it has that retro yeah. look. Very much reminds me of playing old PC gold box D games like pools of radiance uh it has has this really cool retro look but clearly a, a very modern game as you said has an overworld and and much more sophisticated systems than those old D games even had um and it looks like some of the fights you get into are just uh wild with the, uh, the number of enemies hitting you and stuff i'm just kind of uh, checking it yeah, out yeah it it, 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 it it i feel like Oh God, I, I I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop referring to Baldur's Gate. But um, uh, it's <laughs> why it's, it, it's my favorite it game is of the my year. game of the year. <laughs> I loved it. One of my all time favorite games. So I'm going. I mean, uh, uh, we'll get into a little bit more of it later. But uh, it, when I started that game, um, uh, I died. <laughs> just, sure. Just, yeah. Just, just trying to um, just adjust the learning curve for figuring out the gameplay. Um, uh, and, but eventually I, I stumbled upon a particular, you know, uh, methodology for how I wanted to, uh, traverse the world, um, and, and how I wanted to employ the people, you know, to successfully uh, accomplish our missions. Um, the Iron Oath is, uh, very much similar, uh, in that way, in that, you know, it starts off very, well, not hard, but it starts off difficult at the beginning. But as you begin to learn and grow in the game, it becomes uh, um, much simpler. Um, the one thing uh, about uh, the Iron Oath that's, again, I'm, uh, again I, I have to preface this by saying it's very much colored by, that, uh, by the Baldur's Gate experience. The narrative in the game um, is communicated largely through text. There is no voice acting. Um, you know, there's no one to charm you with their, uh, fantastic performance. Um, and, and for me, uh, that is the one area where it's a little bit lacking because, um, the, the writing is perfunctory. It is uh, serviceable. Um, it, it, it isn't as, uh, 
transportive as say, or poetic as say a wildermyth, um, which is also a largely text-based game and uh, being a bit of a populist in my gameplay. Uh, <laughs> I tend to like and enjoy the bells and whistles, but you should, un- you should know that with the iron oath, uh, you're not going to get that. Uh, it is a very much gotcha. sort of a, 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 a slim down uh, sort of experience, but still effective. Looks really cool. The Iron Oath. It actually reminds me of another game I played last year that I very much enjoyed and, and very much almost made my uh, my five Diamonds in the Rough picks uh, that we do at the end of the year. Uh, that's a game called War Tales, oh, oh. which looks very similar it, to this, but with moder- a modern It is aesthetic. very, very similar to War Tales. War Tales was uh, a game I played also one of my uh, favorites of the year uh, when it came out. Um, uh, that's the thing about... Wh- whereas... Whereas with War Tales, the narrative wasn't as uh, the the narrative aspects of the story weren't at the fore. Um, With this, the narrative aspects are much more at the fore. It is it is much more concerned uh, with narrative in a way in a way that War Tales was not. But I have to say, there are aspects of War Tales that I still like over this game. I I I enjoyed that. Okay, enjoyed that War Tales. Yeah, it's a great game. Uh, interesting too that this uh, the developer of uh, the Iron Oath is uh, Curious Panda Games, and their their last game, at least according to Steam, is uh, Rhythm Destruction. So, like, I love when a developer is like, you know what? What we really want to make is this massive role playing game. We've been making these like is a four ninety nine rhythm game, and now we want to kind of take a big swing. I love seeing that. That's cool. Uh, Christian Spicer, what is on your playlist this week? We have one game in common, Jeff. Do you want to start there? Or do you want to start in our game that is different? Uh, let's uh, let's start with the game that's in common because I think it's the one that, you know it's the big release of the week and uh, one I think a lot of people have been talking about, which is Prince of Persia: The Lost Crown. Um, I know you are Mister Mister Metroidvania, and you love a you love a good action platformer. So I'm very very curious to hear what you think of it. Uh, you know, this highly anticipated game very early in the year to come out. So sometimes, you know, these games, it's like, well, we could have put it out the end of the year, get a lot of fanfare or eh, what didn't turn out so good. So let's stick it in the first couple of weeks of January. So people, you know, kind of overlook it. What, what do you think? What, what, which category does Prince of Persia, the lost crown fit into? I love this game so much. I think (laughs) it is phenomenal. Um, Metroid Dread was my favorite game of the year in 2021, the year in which it came out. I haven't replayed it. I haven't played it back to back. So I don't want to say like this is better than it. I mean, it is different. They are both 2D Metroidvania style games, but different approaches to combat and also different approaches to exploration. Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown is faster. The combat, while not souls-like in the way that some of these 2d games um you know there are 2d versions of souls games now that have come into existence this is not quite that but the combat does require your attention where even a lowly you know basic foe can knock off a good chunk of your life if you're cocky and you go into that encounter the wrong way without paying attention 
and I find the combat to be super rewarding. It is simple and easy to pick up. Jordan talked about it last week with the the pre-release, his, his review after Embargo. And I love the way he described it as easy to play. It's pretty much just one button to swing your sword, but the amount of maneuverability you have in addition to that adds a lot of flexibility to how you play. And then it also well, comes... The, the, sorry, the other thing he said that, that really resonated with me when I finally got to play it is that he likened it to a fighting game. And this is something that I've been wanting literally since the 90s. I want someone to approach a larger adventure-type game, but with mechanics that are akin to a, a fighting game. And, you know, as playing Street Fighter, I was like, wouldn't it be great if we could do this, but then I'm exploring places. And, you know, I think there's been games that have kind of hinted at some of that, but I really feel like Jordan was very right in that Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown. It does feel like you're exploring, you're exploring, you're exploring, and then you get into a fight and it's almost like you started playing a 2D fighting game. Yes, there are multiple enemies that'll come, but you're, 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 manipulating your attacks in the same way or not in the same way, but close enough that it kind of feels like I'm playing a fighting game that I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm exercising the muscles that I would have in a mortal Kombat or a street fighter. Did you get that sense too? I think in some ways, yes. Like I'm not doing a fireball, you know, it's, right. it's a, you're not doing special moves in that way, but it is focused combat. And so I think because it's on a 2d plane, it gives that, feeling of a fighting game because in a fighting game you are focused just on that enemy and while i also think it lends itself to be more described as a fighting game a cousin of a fighting game than a souls game and that you have more flexibility it's not quite as punishing but i think the 2d souls games also kind of bring that to the table of yeah every fight if you engage in a fight, it kind of matters. And, and in a fighting game, every fight matters. So right. in Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown, you can skip over enemies. You know, you don't have to engage in all of the fights if you don't want to. The bosses, yes, and some enemies, yes. But for the most part, like the old Castlevania games, um, the GBA games, and a lot of Metroidvanias, when you re-enter an area, the enemies have repopulated. And if you know where you're going, you can just zip past them and you don't need to to fight them. But if you engage in that combat, you are focused and you're working with your attacks, your dodges, and your parries, the three hallmarks of a 2D fighter. And so I think in that way, it really brings a lot of that attention to the table in a way a fighting game does. And I love what this game does with the parry mechanic. So you have the the parry mechanic, which is standard in a lot of combat games now. Um, but in The Lost Crown, they actually put it, an extra penalty on missing it. So if yeah. I go to block to do my parry, but my timing is wrong, the enemy's attack is now actually more powerful, which might sound like a real drag, but I think it is brilliant because it really it changes. Be <laughs> it, oh, sure, of course. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I think any good Metroidvania uh, at its best is sometimes a drag. <laughs> yeah. Like that's built into the game, I think, in a way. That's what a uh, friend of the show, Dan Trachtenberg, used to call the good suck. Yes, yes, yes. Like I need to open my map a million times in a game. You say that, that doesn't sound fun. And it's like, no, no, no. I want to do that. Like, let me, <laughs> let me do that. And I think Prince of Persia, the lost crown embraces that combat approach in a really cool and fascinating way. 
And its traversal mechanics are just phenomenal. There are moments in this game that feel like they are some of the best levels from Celeste in terms of how you are navigating through the space and uh, how you upgrade your powers. I have not rolled credits on the game. I am close, I think. I am facing off. I'll just use the, a term that the game gives me. I am fighting Celestial Guardians. Like, I, I don't know if that's in game. I felt like I was like, oh, I'm going to beat this before we record. And then it was like, there are multiple Celestial Guardians. Go defeat them. And I'm like, well... Record in ten minutes. I'm not all you have to do this. is defeat the twenty six <laughs> celestial guardians. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, I'm not going to finish this before we record. But um, I'm deep. I'm deep into the game, and I love the way it layers in its new abilities and its powers. And it does such a smart job of doing the Mario one one approach of giving you a power and then letting you immediately use it in a very simple, digestible, understandable way. And then oftentimes for unlocks saying, now you know how to do this, now go eat. You know, you're going to be playing the violin on your controller. You know, you got to know where the chords are with no fretboard as you manipulate this controller to do the thing that you know you're going to do. I was playing yesterday and my kids were watching me and I got to a part where I was like, oh, I can't, huh, like again, any good Metroidvania. I thought I needed to get an ability to then be able to progress past this point. Like, I can't finish this right now, kiddos. I'm going to save it and move on. Uh, This was fun. You know, I played too much. I'm not going to go explore the rest of the map right now. So I save it and put away. And then I'm literally like going to bed, laying down in my bed. And I was like, I can do it. Holy (laughs) crap. I know what I need to do. And I got up all excited and told my kids, like, "I, I think I know what I can do. I think I can do this and swap this and power back to that and then bounce off. And they were like, do you think? And I was like, I think, and we did it Dad, this morning. It's three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I have school tomorrow and I haven't slept. So we got a five minute window to get this done. Um, just absolutely phenomenal. Like I mentioned earlier, I have a Genesis version of the original Prince of Persia running over my shoulder. I love that this franchise went back to 2d. I love how they did this. I am playing on switch. I purchased the game on switch because I wanted to, give the developers my money in that way. And I'm playing on Switch because Metroidvanias to me are best played when I can sleep mode, put them down. And the Ubisoft store is really crappy on Steam Deck. <laughs> and it runs it yeah. runs great on Switch. The puzzles I think are phenomenal. It has some God of War, you know, throw your axe into a gear style puzzles to do things. And, and then I'll, I'll, I want to get your thoughts, Jeff. But I love the accessibility that this game brings. It has default um, difficulties, and and you see what it changes. It shows you some of the nitty-gritty. So when you go from normal to easy, it's like, oh, well, your health now goes up to 1.5. Enemy health goes down to 0.5. Block time goes up to – and it shows you that granular stuff so you see what you're changing. But then you can also just go in and change that. So yeah. I can play Each with of them hard... is its own slider that you don't have, yeah. you don't have to uh, do all global ones. You can just go, oh man, that parry is too hard. I'm going to make yes. that easier, which I did. Uh, so did I. So did I. <laughs> I bumped up enemy health and I gave myself a more generous parry because I love the combat. So I yeah. wanted to engage in it. And I, so I love that there's that aspect and platforming. Some of it is hard. And I really love that. But you can also turn on, give me a portal. And it just bloops you to the edge of that super difficult platforming section. And it's really encouraging folks, I think, to find their fun and play the game their way. I I don't know because it's an impossible task 
and I'm not actually going to do it. But I think this game makes my top five last year. Like if this had come, <laughs> I, I think it's that good. Like well, in last it, year's incredible list of games, I think this cracks oh, wow. my top five. I love it. It's weird because you know you're you're sort of we're sort of still in that residual headspace of thinking about best games of the year. You know, we just kind of got through that and. And then here comes this game and you go, oh my gosh, this game is going to totally make my top five. This game, I think, sadly, will be forgotten by most come, you know, 12 months from now. The sands of time swallow all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's a shame because I do think this is, as you've said eloquently, a masterclass in game design. I think this is just every beat of it just feels like, man, they really took a lot of care to get all the little things that make it feel right right and it shows i mean i think my my biggest gripe with this game because i'm playing it on pc is that it does not support ultra wide uh because i think this game would be gorgeous in a super wide format as, as with my monitor um and it's a real shame that it doesn't support those resolutions but other than that like i have very little complaints i i found the syncopated kind of weird parry stuff which is i think a lot of people love because it really requires you to get into the skill i found it to be uh a little beyond me and and, and a bit frustrating and then i was like oh i can just adjust the slider and i'm cool like that's amazing and wonderful and i have no qualms in saying i did that and i needed to do that and it made me it unlocked the fun for me in a way that why not have video games do like let's you know, would would the fun be closed off to me if it didn't do that? To a certain extent, yes. And now the fun is open to me. Like, that's fantastic. So it's great that I can go in and I don't have to feel like, oh, I'm going down to easy mode. I can just slide that one little thing. And now, and, you know, I don't use the parry every fight. Sometimes I'm dodging. Sometimes I'm doing a, sometimes I'm just bum, bum rushing the, <laughs> the, the bad guy and just slicing them as fast as possible. But the point is, like, I love the fact that there are those little details. As you said, so much of the platforming is is fun. The world is fun. The character designs are awesome. The art is great. I love it's beautiful, the, beautiful. Yeah, it's got game. that Hades style. When you talk to somebody, you see their giant portrait come on the screen, and I love the portraits. They look cool. The character designs are awesome. Uh, there's just so much to love about. Prince of Persia, the lost crown. It, it really is very fun. You are, as I said, when I queued you up, you are Mr. Metroidvania. And I feel like I'm Mr. You know, roguelite, but there are those times like the, the best of the best. You'll love a, a ex excellent roguelite. And I'll love, I love Hades excellent Metroidvania. And I feel like this is that, this is that like, even if you're not a fan of Metroidvanias, this is an excellent video game and worthy of being played uh, just because of how great it is doing everything it does. And there's surprises and cool stuff and like the powers that you get are awesome. And it's it's a home run. I'm really impressed with well, the Lost Crown. I have to say that I agree. Uh, 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 this year I'm looking for some games to play because um, – uh, I, I uh, have a love affair with the game Hades and I'm trying to find a game that is equally as amazing, uh, but similar gameplay. <laughs> and um, uh, I 
saw the Prince of Persia and saw that it was 2D. I mean, I've only known it as a, a 3D game. Uh, so it was surprising. But seeing it, uh, it was 2D, I was like, oh, interesting. This looks like uh, uh, Hades. I, I think I might want to play this. And then, you know, realizing that in its 2D version, it was much more of a platformer, which is yes. a, you know, a, a, a game genre where I am, ooh, uh, really, really quite poor. <laughs> um, but hearing the accessibility options for Prince of Persia allows you to make the uh, platforming aspects of the game easier. Oh, I am, I am uh, about to uh, get off this uh, podcast and download a game because um, that was ultimately <laughs> the thing that sort of prevented me from uh, playing it was thinking that I wouldn't be able to manage the platforming aspects of it. But knowing that I can adjust that is, is really quite exciting. It's cool. It's cool to have those granular sliders so you can just decide what parts of, of the game experience are the ones that are less fun for you and just kind of make, you know, sand some time down those rough edges. <laughs> sand. I try. Uh, anyway, um, really great game. Christian, I don't know if you have anything else we want to add or you, you want to move on to your next game. We can, my, my only nit is I wish that the teleportation the devices were a little more fre frequent in the world i love exploring the world but there are times where i find that i'm just because i'm enjoying the exploration i find i'm way off in some area to realize it's closed off and then i have to do a backtracking. You know, air quote decent amount of backtracking to get yeah. to a teleportation but i don't mind you know again i love this game i think the only reason i haven't rolled credits on it is because i've been doing the side missions and the side quests prince of persia the lost crown a triumph Speaking of games I love, Jeff. Um, yeah. The game you love. The it's, game it's franchise. Back. It's back. Did it you miss back. it? Probably not. There wasn't time, but it's back anyway. <laughs> it's back. It's my, yep, next to my uh, uh, Prince of Persia on Genesis, Ellie. My Ellie statue's back there. The Last of Us Part 2 Remastered is out on PlayStation 5. I posted kind of an embargo when the embargo was up my thoughts on threads when that happened but to talk about it in more depth here on this show it's only on ps5 they're not doing a pc release they haven't announced a pc release yet last of us part one it's the remastered version the ps5 version when it launched on pc it was had issues at launch um it's good now but it had issues so there's no PC version, so maybe this that PC version eventually will top this. But right now, as I sit here, The Last of Us Part Two Remastered is the definitive way to play The Last of Us Part Two. It is the best version of one of my favorite games of all time. That's the in sentence period send telegram. That said... <laughs> I don't know. Game is good. Stop. Still best version. Stop. <laughs> well, that's a, still the best version. I don't know if it really rises above the PS4 version with the PS5 free patch that they gave it to be a, hey, kids, you need to play this one. With The Last of Us Part 1, The rematch, if you'd only played it on PS3, it is, hey, kids, put down your controller go get this PS5 version of it. It's that much better. But also not a game for kids. <laughs> uh, my my youngest, my youngest loves 
right, okay. right, okay. Um, but she's really, a big fan of beating people to death with uh, golf clubs. So, dude, you know. like a fish to water, <laughs> you know. Um. <laughs> um, I, I think the, que- the the question is, and maybe you just answered it. it the question is like, you have to re-experience this game. I feel like if you're coming to Last of Us Part Two for the first time, this is the one you get. And you got a PS5, this is the one you get. But if yeah. you played it the first time around, is this a oh you have to re-experience it? It's it's so much sweeter, so much better. No, that's where it becomes. It, it, so it's a ten dollar upgrade. So yes, I think you know if if you if you love The Last of Us, then yes, I think ten dollars is you know a, a coffee, right? You know, like you can find that amount of money to make it worthwhile for you to get this upgraded version of the game. It also comes with three lost levels that I got through in probably 25 minutes. They're really cool. They have developer commentary and they explain as you do things in the level, they explain why that level was cut. Again, talking about the Xbox um, developer direct. And also, yes, I did the official podcast with The Last of Us, which I think also did this very well of giving access to these developers. And I think Naughty Dog continues to do that very well. My understanding is your official Last of Us podcast is in the game. It is in the game, as it My was in the part one, Master. Yes, uh, yes. Is that yes. it's in the game that Christian Spicer is in this product that he's reviewing? <laughs> to be fair, I am not reviewing. I am full throated endorsing. <laughs> Christian Spicer um, said it's worth the ten dollar upgrade just to get the podcast. <laughs> hey, look! When you're done shopping at store.dlcpod.com, you need to go spend ten dollars on store.playstation.com. I think that's the URL, and get yourself a copy of The Last of Us. Tell them you bought it Remastered. for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> tell them Christian sent you. Um, go tell Indiana Jones that uh, Christian sent you. And so these lost levels are really cool. They're short. I don't think you'll replay them multiple times, but they're really cool, and I love seeing this type of thing in the game. I think Neil Druckmann described this game leading up to its release as the Criterion Collection style release of a movie, and it very much feels that way. Last of Us Part Two was already so phenomenal uh, visually with animations on PS4 that, yes, it looks better on PS5, but it's not blowing you away visually. The upgrade. The Lost Levels are cool, and I think the biggest addition is their rogue mode, um, rogue-type mode, um, no return. And it is, you know, not even rogue light. You go through these sequences of events, and if you die, you start over without carrying those things forward. And I think it does a really good job of highlighting how dang good of an action game the action combat is in the last of us franchise. I think folks dismiss the last of us, the incredible combat in the last of us as, Oh, that's that story game. I love that story. I love that story game. It's so cool. I agree with all of that, but the combat mechanics that they built into these games are second to none in my opinion. And I think that was shown off with the first game in factions, their multiplayer mode showing how this fluid the combat can be and how you can link things together and how visceral and fun it can be and no return mode does that again where where, you know people have talked about how it really walks that line of you have to disassociate the theme of the game with what you're doing in the no return mode the theme of the game you know it's like violence is it worth it the weight of the world all this stuff and the no returns mode's like 
go kill some folks, <laughs> Get, yeah, <laughs> you know, like go knock them dead. And so, yes, it's disconnected from the narrative of the game, but it really highlights how fun those combat encounters can be. Um, and it feels weird to then caveat that by saying last, uh, uh, God of war kind of just did the same thing. And for my two pennies, I prefer God of war's version because God of war's version gave me story. God of mm. war's version gave me narrative. It told me more stuff about Kratos. It was free. And I really enjoyed that approach. This no return mode is detached from the story, unrelated to anything, Um, So I don't have that same personal carrot at the end of the stick to keep me playing through it to see what happens to these characters. But as you say, standalone arcade, it's phenomenal and I think worth checking out. So buy it for the podcast and then go ahead and (laughs) check out the, you know, the podcast you can get for free, but go (laughs) go get the podcast and I guess also play these new modes. It's, I mean, again, it's a great game and I'm biased. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Again, that's Last of Us Part Two remastered, <clears throat> uh, and uh, I can't wait for uh, when they remaster the remaster. It'll be um, my understanding is uh, by the end of twenty twenty four. Yeah, um, but in that game, Troy Baker will be doing my voice in the podcast, so it won't be quite as good. <laughs> It'll be better, actually. It'll be better, yeah, way better, way better. <laughs> um, okay, there's a there's a, another game on my playlist. I mostly played Prince of Persia all week, and. An, a VR game that I'll get to shortly, but um, there's a game that I wanted to bring in because you know I said Prince of Persia is sweeping the internet, but really the game that's taking the internet by storm is a game called Pal World, which evidently has sold like three million copies in 48 hours or something insane, um, and is on Game Pass. So I was like, you know what, I'm gonna check this game out. It is not the kind of game I like. I am drawn to at all in any regard. Um, if you have not heard of Pal World, it is what world are you living on, Pal? <laughs> exactly. Huh? Uh, it, well done. It is uh, it is described succinctly as Pokemon with guns. Okay. Again, not something I'm drawn to e- either of those things. I'm not a huge fan of Pokemon. Much to my son's chagrin, by the way, my seven year old has gotten so far into Pokemon. It's it's almost like he selects his obsessions based on things I know the least about. You know, dad is a repository of things, of knowledge that seven-year-olds should love, except he picks the little niche, the particular niche that I just never got into Pokemon. Anyway. Hey, dad, let's watch football. I love football. Great. I'm rooting for Chelsea. Who are you rooting for? <laughs> 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 Uh, that's exactly it dad 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 i love tabletop trading card games awesome i have so much magic the gathering i want to play pokemon (laughs) (laughs) anyway pal world is not pokemon in fact eh, there may be some litigation to that effect because it is very much uh, very much aping Pokemon to the point where some folks have even accused the game of ripping off Pokemon designs, like full on just lifting them. We shall see how that plays out. Uh, the folks behind Pal World said in a very cheeky and I would say legitimately funny response. Um, if Nintendo comes after us with their lawyers, we have lawyers too, and they have guns. Eh, see, we, we have Pokemon, they have Pokemon, ours have guns. Um, yeah, I thought 
thought pretty funny response. We'll see if humor is what stops the lawyers or if they'll actually have big Nintendo lawyers saying shut this whole thing down. But in the meantime, they're making uh, tons of money on this thing. And it is uh, – Christian, you are much more of a Pokemon player than I. And by much more, I mean uh, it's like the difference between zero and whatever percentage you put yourself at. You, you love the Pokemon games. I have literally never played any po- – I've just missed it completely – it was never something that I was drawn to. And uh, it. having said that, I will say this seems to me to be the Pokemon game that everyone has always wanted. <laughs> Not because it has guns. That's a whole other thing. But because it's a giant open world collect Pokemon and let them fight for you and do cool multiplayer. stuff. What? Multiplayer. What? Multiplayer. And has multiplayer. Yes. So in that sense, like I can totally understand why this game is doing gangbusters right now. It's because it's literally delivering the thing that Nintendo has stubbornly refused to deliver, which is people want to get with their friends and basically do Monster Hunter, but with Pokemon. They want to collect Pokemon. They want to actually use the Pokemon in battles that aren't boring you know i mean not not saying pokemon battles are boring but like when you're in this dynamic real-time action combat in pal world and you toss a pokemon out it's all it's awesome it's awesome in a way pokemon has never been in my you know detached looking from afar observation of it you can correct me if i'm wrong but like you see the Pokemon out in the world like doing dynamically doing stuff fighting for you using its cool abilities you know that that's neat that's just like neat and then you get to the layer of which i have not experienced but you can literally it's got all these survival mechanics which is nothing i'm particularly drawn to either in in games that that appeal to me but you you know you build houses and structures and things and you can put your pokemon to work and not pokemon they're pals your pals eh, they're pokemon <laughs> Um, but you put them to work. And so this game is very much like, you know, Pokemon is like, oh, they're adorable and they want to fight for you. It's their desire to fight. You're a trainer, but it's this beautiful, positive relationship. Pal World is like, no, you are, you are a, uh, a, 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 a uh, horrible, uh, like a circus operator, you know, like you're making the, you're making the 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 elephants do tricks and it's a horrible life for them but you're a, a dictator and you're just you know whatever you say they have to do and that's how it is with the pokemon you exploit them you put them to work you you can unlock uh conveyor belts and create this like this this sweatshop environment for the pokemon to build your toil away day after day and build your weapons you know for you it's it's kind of dark, but clever. I will say it's clever. And you like, you literally can just destroy the Pokemon in order to harvest their materials to build other things. And for example, you can get a meat cleaver to chop up a Pokemon, a pal, a pal, the adorable, adorable pal. You can get a meat cleaver to chop it up. And you know what you can do? You can force the pals to make the meat cleaver that will eventually be their demise. <laughs> it's very dystopian <sighs> in, a, in, a, in a very real way. I don't. Uh, and I have gotten to none of that, right? I have 
barely begun to play this. And I only bring it up really as a dis- discussion topic because uh, you, Christian, know way more about Pokemon than I. I don't know your level of relationship, Daryl, with Pokemon. Um, I- I've never played Pokemon because I didn't understand the point. <laughs> Oh, the point is that you've got to right. collect I them mean, all. I, people That's have said fun. that to me. And, and again, I ask the question, what's the point? You have to have a compulsion <laughs> but, to but collect But the way them all. you describe this pals game, I'm beginning to question <laughs> my uh, worth as a human because I feel like I really, really want to be abusing some pals uh, the way you describe this game, I feel like well, I would play. Have this. I got a game for you. No, I my won't friend. play Pokemon, yeah. but I feel like Pals is a game I want to play. <laughs> I may have just sold you on a subscription service because this is on Game Pass, baby, and you can play it on PC. I I am, um, and it is not super system demanding either. It's a very cartoonish oh, wow. looking game, uh, and it, uh, you know, I like I said, I have barely scratched the surface of this game i'm running around smacking stuff with sticks there's no guns in my world i understand guns come very late level and i'm just smacking some stuff with sticks but i kind of get the uh i kind of get the appeal and i think this is just a bizarre topic you know in that maybe it's would have been better for the story of the week segment than than what i've been playing but i did play some of it enough to sort of understand what was going on and kind of see the appeal and feel like it really is a situation where a a very real desire in people was not being fulfilled. And all these Pokemon games come out, and some are good and some are bad, and I hear people talk about the good ones and the bad ones and what's good and what's bad, but there's like a fundamental desire to live the Pokemon fantasy that I don't think has been represented in video game form. And maybe the closest to actually living the fantasy has been with Pokemon go, you know, like, because again, this is from the outside looking in somebody that doesn't have any connection to this franchise and hasn't really played the games, but I feel like the games aren't fundamentally delivering the fantasy and Christian, I'm here to ask if I'm right about that. I think they've been delivering on the fantasy for a while, but people want something different. You know, they've been doing it. It's been an incredible turn-based RPG forever. And and I think a oftentimes pared down version of a rock, paper, scissors, turn-based RPG done very well with incredible art design and characters design and music and really creating these vibrant worlds where you want to spend time. What you don't have is um, real-time combat where, except for like Stadium and some of these offshoots, right, where you as the trainer are also doing cool moves while your Pokemon is doing cool moves. Like it's always you select what move your Pokemon does. You get to then see it acted out on screen and it's cool, but it's not – you know, you manipulating the world a la Fortnite, which Pal World seems to kind of rely on as well in terms of its aesthetic um, and doing those yeah. things while you're while you're doing this. My I'm curious to see how this all plays out. Taking off my sweet play games be nice embroidered hat that you can get at store.dlc5.com <laughs> and, and putting on my no longer attorney cap. What I find fascinating about this game is perhaps less the blatant uh theft of designs but more so this studio um pocket pair i believe uh approach to 
being very vocal in support of using AI and and creating their games in this game. And it seems like there might be a, a, and I I don't know, we're, we're still in it, right? This game just came out, but it seems like there might very well be a case where they didn't rip off Pokemon designs. They trained in AI. <laughs> we didn't do it. The robot did it. <laughs> to steal to, all the, to borrow. We're forwarding all your litigation emails to the robot because that's the robot's purview. I don't know. We trained this AI on Pokemon and then we said make new monsters and we got these new monsters that, yes, that is clearly that person's fin and that person's beak and that person's eyes. But like we, and I, I truly think this is a fascinating era of creation ownership ip where's that line drawn in terms of again assuming this stuff is true and that's what happened um i'm fascinated by it and i think part of the fantasy that isn't being fulfilled but this game is fulfilling that perhaps the other monster collecting games have not jeff is whether rightly they did it in a proper way and just had incredible creature designers or perhaps in in less honest ways this game has that creature design that is incredible looking because it looks like Pokemon, but that's that's what Digimon doesn't Ours have. That's shoe a peak, shoe a peak. That's what these other games, oftentimes, in my opinion, are lacking. Like Pokemon character designs are iconic. Yeah, they are iconic, and it's hard. It is hard to make a awesome looking, simple air quote designed creature that speaks to people and that they can connect with in these ways and pokemon has done it time and time again and however they did it pal world has also managed to do it you look at this and you are instantly drawn into it because it looks like pokemon (laughs) well one of the things too Um, is that is that these folks are an indie studio right they and they're kind of playing in the triple a space and their their reason for you know, self-reporting why that's possible is because they used AI, right? They're like, hey, we actually were able to kind of make a, a you know, sort of out uh, out hit our fielding, you know, <laughs> whatever the phrase is. You, we, we're able to kind of play in a bigger sandbox because we have these tools. And I think that's that's fascinating as well. So I'm curious what the uh, community thinks. This is uh, This game is a huge success so far, big enough success that I think it is going to, certainly garner the attention of Nintendo, whether or not they actually do anything about it will be another issue, but I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Christian, are you going to play it? Are you, it's on game pass. Probably not. To be honest, I mean, maybe I'm so curious what you think of it because this is not a game for me at all. This is not a game. Like I said, I'm not into survival games per se, like, you know, excellent ones. Yes, but that's not a, a gameplay loop that I've been drawn to historically. I'm definitely not interested in Pokemon. This aesthetic does not appeal <laughs> to me. The de- the designs of Pokemon, I've never been particularly infatuated with. Like uh, all of it is very much not in my wheelhouse. And I played it and I was like, I get it. I get it. I get why this is cooler than the Pokemon games that I've seen, you know, in that it's, it's kind of like, it's it's got a visceral reason to get the the thing. The reason that you're collecting it is not only is it awesome on the battlefield and does cool stuff, but you can like put it in your stable and make it do stuff for you. And it's got you know 
pieces of it help your world get cooler and better and you build it's got loops gameplay loops that the pokemon games have shied away from or resisted and it seems to me and, and i think uh, the silliness of it is appealing to the content creator very much side so. of folks playing games and like the multiplayer Lol. too plays into that yeah yeah yep it's got legs it's got all kinds of weird looking legs because they're like pokemon <laughs> legs anyway. all right so uh one more th- quick thing i want to talk about before we wrap up and that is a vr game Uh, I got a chance to play an early copy of a game that has just come out called Bulletstorm VR. Um, This is a game from 2011 that I actually reviewed. I would have been on the Totally Rad show and also on uh, Weekend Confirmed. I very vividly remember talking about it with Garnett on Weekend Confirmed. Um, And it's a game that I really enjoyed at the time. It took me by surprise because it has a sort of a tone and an attitude that has traditionally been pretty off-putting for me. Even back in 2011, it was off-putting. But the game kind of won me over with its, its creativity. And it, you know, it was a, um, a product of its time in in an era when unreal engine games all sort of looked like gears of war. You know, everybody was this chunky wide Marine in, you know, big suit, uh, this game used that same kind of look uh, for its main characters. And it was also sort of like a Duke Nukem style, like ah, I'm a profane, you know, curse word slinging attitude having dude. And uh, that's tiresome. And yet the writing was silly enough and, and really more the gameplay itself was so fun and so different at the time, kind of innovative at the time in that, it wasn't just about mowing down tons of enemies, although you do that too. It was about style points, literally awarding you style points, which you could then use as currency to upgrade your weapons in certain ways. Um, but the style points came from how you juggled enemies in the air. You have both weapons and you had this whip, this sort of laser whip in your offhand that you could use to fling enemies into the air and it would put them in slow motion. And then you could kick them into things, kick them into a, into a giant gear that would grind up their body or kick them all the way across. Or, you know, you chain together all these kind of wacky maneuvers like that and you'd get style points. And it was in 2011, I gave this game a very good review. It was a ton of fun. And so when I heard weekend confirmed episode 13 and weekend confirmed episode 14 is what you're looking for for uh, early. Oh my gosh. Per Googling it and and looking at just like episode summaries, which is June 2010. How is that possible? I thought this came out in 2011. Maybe it was like E3 hands on. You were first talking about it. That's when you, you all first started talking about it. Yeah. June would have been an E3. That makes sense. Another lifetime Christian. That was, that was a wee, wee Some child. people might have said that E3 was great. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, so I, when this when I heard this was coming to VR as a B- VR enthusiast, I was pretty excited because I, I love the idea of this creativity and you know doing that with a mouse and keyboard or or a controller is one thing, but you know flinging people around, putting them into slow mo, kicking them, all that stuff felt like oh this is going to be really cool in VR. 
And I am very sad to say uh, I don't think this was a successful project, bringing Bulletstorm to VR. Um, there is some fun to be had in the the creativity. You know, it's still that that gameplay loop works to a certain extent. I I think there's been games in the intervening 13 years that have done it far better. Uh, a notable one is Doom, the Doom reboot uh, in 2018, um, which just like takes that idea and blows it wide open and you're just having so much fun. And moreover, the bigger problem is I do think this is not a great VR port. Um, you know, just recently with uh, Prey Dogs, universal uh unreal <laughs> uh mod you can get i think very comparable results to for games that weren't even officially made into vr uh it, it, this doesn't feel like it is particularly well brought over like for example to do the kick you pull down on the stick and then like a ghost foot comes up in your view which you know i imagine hard to do a kick in VR, your legs aren't tracked, but maybe we could have thought more about turning the kick into a punch or turning the kick into some other thing I'm doing that isn't just pulling down on the thumbstick to make the kick happen. It just feels like, well, that's the least VR-y version of that you could come up with. And it felt, feels a little lazy to me um, in that it doesn't try to deliver on the promise. Now, doing the whip, is full on motion tracked, you know, uh, you would, what you would expect in sort of whipping your hand. But here I am just having put dozens of hours into Asgard's wrath Two, which spoiler alert, you get a whip like thing. Uh, and it's just done so much better, so much more fun. The combat, the creativity I'm doing in that game, for example, is so much more fun and it really delivers on the promise of VR. And here you're just like throwing bullets into a thing and, you know, making it go in slow motion and throwing more bullets into the thing. And I mean, it really is of a different era when enemies are just bullet sponges and they break apart into those unreal engine chunks of meat. And it, it, it really feels dated visually, extremely dated. Um, I played this on MetaQuest three as a standalone game, uh, I was given a code. I initially got the code as a Steam game because it's also on PC VR via Steam. And I thought, hey, I want to get those, you know, beefy GP visuals. I don't want to get the standalone visuals. And was chagrined to find out that the Steam Link uh, app, it, it, uh, Bulletstorm VR, at least at launch, is not supported. So you can't I think stream this, game's this from your had other issues at launch too. It seems like like I think yes, PlayStation had glitches. to do some stuff. I and... hear the PSVR two version is I did not get a chance to try it, but is uh, is very glitchy. Uh, and I'm I'm told that it will support PC Link at some point that they plan to do that post launch. But like I literally could not get it to play in the headset streamed from my PC, which I didn't even think was a thing. I thought it yeah. just magically worked with all the PC VR games. I didn't know the games had to actually support it because a whole get bunch of games that have been out that didn't <laughs> get new patches just work. 
So I don't know what the deal is with that, but it it doesn't work. Um, so I then got a second code to be able to play it in the headset standalone. And it is a an ugly game. I will say that. And it's unfortunate to say it's cool to be in this world in VR, like just how it is to just be in VR is cool, I think. But uh, the textures look bad. And again, I'm playing standalone Asgard's Wrath 2. And it looks, I think, miles better than this game. And now, to be fair, this is a 2011 game or 2010. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. It's an old game. But I, I, it bums me out that, that there wasn't more done to sort of improve the visuals. I feel like the MetaQuest can do better because I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen Red, Red Matter 2 on standalone Quest 3 is gorgeous, gorgeous, like incredible looking. And I, I it felt like nobody went in and redid these texts. It just feels like shovelware. It feels like a kind of lazy port to VR. And it's a bummer because that's not what VR needs right now. Uh, it needs, you know, proof that, that it's, it's worthwhile. And so uh, pretty much uh, across the board, hard for me to recommend Bulletstorm VR, even as somebody that loves VR and thinks that most games are better in VR than they are on a flat screen. Uh, this one just, um, it fell pretty flat for me. And I'm sad to say it. February 28th, 2011 is the episode of the Totally Rad Show. There where you, go. you all reviewed it. With people watching the video version, you saw I threw in a little clip. Um of you talking about it there. Of a you young man that vaguely looks like me uh, talking about <laughs> Oh, no, about the it. characters in Bullet, Bulletstorm look better than you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Stick around. We got parting gifts coming up. But Daryl, Lathan, thank you so much for being here, man. It's been awesome oh, thank having you. Thank you very much for having me. This has been fantastic. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Um, uh, I hope I've been a suitable guest for you and provided a wonderful you insight have. to your uh, <laughs> many listeners. Uh, Indeed you have. Uh, tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the cool stuff well, you do um, online. You can find me at uh, Daryl underscores reads uh, on Instagram. Uh, you can uh, hear some of my voice work uh, and video work on that particular uh, page. You can also find me um, uh, weekly, well, almost weekly, uh, as a co uh, guest host on uh, Gamers with Jobs. Uh, you can visit the website, gamerswithjobs.com, or listen to the podcast on any uh, uh, podcast uh, application of your choice. Very cool. Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? Well, we I mentioned it up top, but we launched a new website for this here podcast. You can find it at dlcpod.com, uh, which I think looks great and proud of to have that up in addition to a new merch store, which folks can find linked on the website or also at store.dlcpod.com. Uh, fun stuff that I think looks looks really good, and I'm proud of I'm proud of how it's come out. I have a newsletter where I write long form conversational style pieces about video games that you can find on Substack. It is christianspicer.substack.com. This last one I wrote about um, paying extra 
to access a finished game a few days early. Um, Prince of Persia had that where you could bought the deluxe edition. You'd get a few digital things, but also get it four days early. Forza's done it. Starfield's done it. Kind of that rise in that. And now after that newsletter came out, the newest addendum to that story, I think, is it's like a dragon. The deluxe edition comes with New Game Plus, which feels not great. <laughs> <laughs> not great to that not they have, hold it behind that uh, yes, ex- add extra that. Yeah. Yeah, fee. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So that's uh, christianspicer.substack.com. And then uh, threads. I'm Christian underscore Spicer on threads. And this show is DLC Hype Train, also on threads. You can find me on socials. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Other shows you can check out that I am part of include the Filmcast, which is at, uh, well, it's on, anyway, you get podcasts. It's a show about movies and TV shows and all kinds of other cool stuff. It's fun. I also do We Have Concerns, which is a comedy science show where you can learn something and laugh along the way. And uh, the Fan Controlled Show, which is about sports. You can find that Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Daryl, do you have a suggestion to help people get through uh, yes. their week? <clears throat> I would like to suggest the two-book combo, Hyperion, and Fall of I- Hyperion, which is the sequel to the first book. Um, it is uh, a science fiction, uh, two, uh, two science fiction novels um, set in the far future. And the first book, Hyperion, is basically structured like the Canterbury Tales. It is uh, a frame, and within that, each uh, of the pilgrims who are making a pilgrimage to the time tombs on Hyperion, which are about to open, uh, they tell their story as to why they are making said pilgrimage as they make their, their way there. Um, uh, the book uh, Hyperion kind of ends on a bit of a cliffhanger um, where and Fall of Hyperion picks up where Hyperion left off. Uh, the book is... It was written in 1989, but it still feels timely to this day. Uh, there are aspects of this book that feels like it was perform- uh, informed by today's society. Um, I'm particularly uh, interested in the way that it deals with AI. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in themes, uh, it, it's about God, the gods, uh, uh, the death of the gods, man's duty to God, or any other higher power. Um, it, it's a fantastic uh, set of novels that I just uh, breezed through uh, towards the end of last year, and uh, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Totally agree. Beautiful, beautiful prose as well. They're gorgeously written. Um, Hyperion and Fall of Hyperion. Christian Spicer, what is your parting gift? It's that time of year again. It is Girl Scout cookie season. Girl Scout cookies. If you have a local scout, I recommend supporting your local scout or your local troop. I'm sure you'll see them at farmer's markets or outside grocery stores here fairly soon, boothing or perhaps coming door to door and asking you to buy cookies. Um, Support Girl Scouts. Get some delicious cookies Tagalongs and Samoas are my personal faves. They might be called something different in your market. Um, Thin Mint, bro. Peanut- what's up? What's up? Are you leaving out Thin Mints? 
I said my personal favorite. Uh, you know, I'm a personal favorite kind of guy. I'm not a best of. I'm, I'm not just a, saying, this, why don't your personal favorites include Thin Mints? Because it's not one of my personal favorites. Wow. They are Tagalongs and Samoas. Or if you wow. do not have a local scout and you are part of our community here, I will post links to my daughter's virtual store on our Discord. I'll put it up in general. So if you don't have a local scout, you still want some cookies, you can support my kiddos. But uh, by all means, by no means do you have to support your local scouts. But if you're craving thin mints, as Jeff puts it, I yeah. will drop those links in our Discord for folks. Yeah, you get them from Christian and maybe he'll improve his terrible taste in cookies. If my daughters sell enough, th- their troops are raising money for me to buy an Apple Vision Pro. And if they sell <laughs> no, enough, what is your troop raising money for? My dad? <laughs> my dad wants a new VR headset. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They're not. They are raising money for a good cause. I have a uh, something to recommend as my parting gift that is very rare. Very rare for me to get on board with an anime. I've tried. I want to like anime more than I do. I'm just often, it's often an uphill battle for me. I love the best of the best ones, but you know, I'm not one of those guys that just loves all anime. I'm, I apologize for that. But there are great ones. And one of the ones I, have, I, I took a chance on, a friend of the show, Danish Syed, reached out and said, you got to try this. And he was right. There's a new anime on Netflix called Delicious in Dungeon. And it's so weird and fun. I found it irresistible. It's 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 kind of goofy. I mean, a lot of anime is that, right? It rides the this line between goofy and serious and thought-provoking. You know, I think that's probably one of the reasons people like anime cuz it can be all those tones at the same time. Um but this one, I think, takes the goofy part and goes even farther with it. And it really just, I appreciate how big a swing it is. Delicious in Dungeon is like a full-on D&D. Not even D&D. It's more like a roguelike. It's the, 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 the concept is these people are going into a dungeon and trying to get, it's like a rogue. It's like rogue, but done as an as a animated series. Like they've died a bunch of times, but they keep coming back and trying to go into And it starts off with one of the characters having been eaten, one of the character's sisters having been eaten by a monster and it's going to be slowly digested. And they got to try to get back to that level of the dungeon before she gets digested. (laughs) But what is so wild about this show is that they, the main character guy and this other character that comes in, love eating monsters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they like cooking monsters and eating monsters. They think monsters are a delicacy. And so the the show is like part cooking show, part adventure show because they'll they'll fight a monster and then they'll like talk in detail about how you prepare it. But it's all fantasy. It's it's all nonsense. It's like giant mushroom monsters or slimes or things like and, but they take it super seriously and it's delightful. I find it delight- like the amount of time and energy they put into thinking through how you would cook this thing and why you would cook this thing and what it tastes like. And it's very fun. Delicious in dungeon. It's on Netflix uh, in the United States. So I don't know where, you know, where else you can find it, but that's where I'm watching it. Speaking of awesome animated shows, we got a listener suggested parting gift. This comes from Guy, who uh, writes in, hey there, 
My parting gift suggestion is a Netflix show called Blue Eye Samurai. It might have gone under the radar for under the radar for most people, as I haven't seen a lot of buzz, but the show is incredible. It's an animation set in feudal Japan, where the country closed its borders, or excuse me, when the country closed its borders and foreigners were viewed as impure or even demonized. The content is adult with lots of blood and dismemberments and some nudity, but the animation style and story are top notch. In case you missed it, check it out. Keeping the world a better place, Guy. Thank you, Guy. Um, I know, you, oh, yes, I, you have I was going to say, uh, when I was putting together the options for a parting gift, this came in second. I, I have to <laughs> strongly cool. second the recommendation for Blue Eye Samurai. It is quite, quite, quite good. Uh, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yes. Incredible. Oh, beautiful. Too. Beautiful. Like, and it is a yeah. mature a story. And like, like I, I, that, that, the aspect that, that aspect of it, the maturity of it is the thing that really for me stands out the most. I mean, you, you you're yeah. going to see a lot of beautiful anime, uh, 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 that comes across, uh, your, your eyeballs, but, uh, rarely are you going to get one that <clears throat> that feels current uh, and is mature in its presentation and doesn't feel like it's talking down to you in any way, form or fashion. It's really just concerned with character development and entertaining you with this particular story. Love it. That's blue eye samurai. It's on Netflix and it's geese parting gift. If you'd like to send us your own parting gift, we'd love to get it you can send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right, that's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Daryl Lathan and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those fun bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Cherry and T. Ryan Arnold. Again, check out the new website, dlcpod.com. And you can get uh, swag, you can get cool merch at store.dlcpod.com. Thanks to Christian for all the hard work on that website. We also have to thank our patrons who make this show possible. Thank you very much for supporting the show. We really appreciate you. Our top tier patrons, our hype train patrons, get their own video game. This is the part of the show, Christian, where we got to talk about games. We got to talk about games that just deserve. A mention. We've talked a lot about games the whole podcast, and we do every time. But these games, some people haven't heard of the Chris Zacharias game. You remember it? Uh, what I remember most about it is how it inspired uh, an SNL sketch and character of like chopping broccoli, chop, and it's a uh, in Chris Zacharias. You had to uh, chop to the rhythm mm. of the name of the game before Parappa the Rapper, which is yeah. brilliant. Way for how before it, Cooking Mama way before cooking mama and so i i really loved the rhythm of chris zacharias which just like pop 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 you know it, it got you into it just like right from the get-go man i mean I, I i will admit i did the nes track and field cheat when i was trying to get to like the fast rhythm you know putting the controller down sure and da -da 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 with like a pencil to hit those fast beats love yeah. it yeah th th that game was was crazy because 
um, you know, you had, it wasn't just beats. It was actually, you know, it was like Prap of the Rapper, where there was actually dialogue. Zachariah, Zachariah, Zachariah. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> there was a lot, you know, each syllable was its own, it felt like its own uh, level, you know? Zachariah, what? You know, like that Zachariah always threw us. Zachariah, yeah. you? Zachariah, me? I Which was a great Capcom crossover. Chris Zachariah, you is when you get in there <laughs> with Zachariah, you. Yeah. <laughs> with that sweet dragon that was, punch that was pretty wild i remember that and that we'd go in the arcades and be like have you seen uh have you seen uh sheng long no no but i have seen zakurayu <laughs> that's before you could look things up on the internet you know there were <laughs> urban legends is reptile in mortal kombat one who knows you know do you, you have a hundred dollars to plunk into the machine you must you gotta find zakurayu to stand a chance <laughs> who me no all of us all Zacharias? of us, yeah, all of us do. Uh, another great game that I will re- recall fondly is uh, Matt Bradley, which is uh, you remember remember Bad Dudes, remember Bad Dudes. I, I know there's not video for these, but man, you look so happy when you said Matt Bradley. I'm oh, sorry, I can't because it, it recalls memory, dude. There was a whole series of games, Double Dragon bad dudes there were the beat-em-ups and it was always two characters because they were two-player games <laughs> and that's why you got matt and bradley the two lead characters of matt bradley oh man it was a beat-em-up and you would you, uh, remember there was like a there was a crazy crazy level where matt and bradley had to uh, jump on a moving train do you remember that I remember only I had to play only as Bradley because I played it on Genesis like early, early. Maybe it was even no, it was Genesis and kind of like Final Fight on Super Nintendo didn't give you all three characters. When Matt Bradley came home, they for whatever reason, they just gave you Bradley. And I was a Matt Stan, not Matt Stan, but a Stan (laughs) of Matt. That was a different game. Matt Stan. (laughs) That's in a very different game. No, um, the in, craziest thing, the Christian, do you remember? If you put the Konami code into Matt Bradley, a third character was introduced. It was Matt, Brad, and Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Another example of a game just using Bruce Lee's likeness. It was uh, wild. You know, but the, I different times. It, different you, times. It, you put in the code and Bradley is there and he just like splits into two. <laughs> Ah, it was so crazy. And like a new a new arc a, a new joystick and buttons popped out of the arcade cabinet. Like if you weren't careful and you were standing too close to Matt Bradley and someone entered the Konami code, you're getting just shoved across you're the getting, whole arcade. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those were great times, man. I mean, the game it was it was, you know, it was very strange that it was just three dudes. I feel like it was it was early 90s. There wasn't a lot of uh female lead characters in games, but it's still great great old beat 'em up. Loved it. Loved it. Matt Bradley. Anyway, uh, those are some memories uh, of games past uh, based on our hype train patrons. If you'd like to become one and have your name immortalized as a game memory, uh, you can find out how at patreon.com slash DLC pod. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.